Live from New York, I'm Allison Kosick in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Macron's meetings. The French president takes his diplomacy to Ukraine. NVIDIA left armless as the biggest chip deal in history collapses. And on his bike, Peloton replaces its CEO as speculation grows over a sale. It's Tuesday. Let's make a move. A warm welcome to First Move. Great to have you with us this Tuesday. We'll have the very latest on French President Macron's ongoing efforts to ease tensions between Ukraine and Russia. That happening in just a moment. But first, a look at the global markets. U.S. futures pointing to a mostly lower open on Wall Street. It's a continuation of Monday's cautious trading. Mostly flat action in Europe. And higher borrowing costs remains a key stock market concern as more central banks hint at higher rates. The yield on the benchmark, U.S. 10-year Treasury inching closer to the 2 percent milestone today, as you can see there. European borrowing costs rising, too, with French and German yields hitting three-year highs. In Asia, Chinese stocks finished with gains after an early session sell-off, stocks rebounding from a 2% slump amid reports that state-backed funds stepped in to buy shares. It's a busy Tuesday. Let's get right to the drivers and the latest from Ukraine. France's President Macron says there are, quote, concrete, practical steps to end the tensions between Russia and the West over Ukraine. But he warned it could take months. Macron was speaking after a meeting with Ukraine's president. It was the last stop in a high-stakes diplomatic tour that included a five-hour summit with Russia's President Putin. Let's bring in Alex Marquardt. Uh, he joins us live now. Alex, great to see you. So now uh, that we've you know, watched uh, French President Macron have a very busy schedule over the past two days, meeting with uh, President Putin, meeting with President Zelensky, can you tell if actual progress has been made to de-escalate the situation um, at the border of Ukraine and Russia? Yeah, and Allison, that flurry of activity is not over yet. Uh, from Kiev, Macron goes on to Berlin, where he will meet with the German sh- Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who himself is just back from meeting with President Biden in Washington, D.C. So we've got this flurry of diplomatic activity on both sides of the Atlantic, all aimed at, of course, uh, getting the situation along the borders of Ukraine uh, to de-escalate, to get Russian troops to pull back their forces. Uh, President Macron has positioned himself as essentially the go-between uh, between the West uh, and NATO and uh, and Russia. And he is keen to show that he has made some progress. As you mentioned, uh, Macron has said that uh, on a number of different fronts, uh, positions have been clarified and that uh, there are practical and concrete solutions uh, within reach. He, he essentially laid out uh, two mechanisms uh, through which de-escalation can happen. One of them is what's known as the, the Normandy format. Um, and that was set up in, in the wake of the invasion uh, of uh, Ukraine back in 2014 by Russia. And that is essentially meetings uh, by uh, Ukrainian, Russian, uh, French, and German officials. So conversations will continue uh, on that format. Of course, of course, that notably excludes uh, the United States and, and the rest of NATO. Uh, but Macron was really uh, building up the importance of the Minsk agreements. Uh, those were agreements, again, that were uh, agreed to between Ukraine and Russia and others in the wake of the invasion in in 2014. Now, those agreements have have largely been ignored and fallen apart. Uh, The United States would say that's mainly Russia's fault. Of course, Russia blames uh, Ukraine, every side pointing uh, at each other. But But Macron and Putin are now saying that the Minsk agreements 
are the way forward, that they have laid out uh, a blueprint uh, to, to get to uh, some kind of de-escalation. Uh, now, Macron also said that Russian troops, uh, that Russia has agreed to withdraw its troops from Belarus, which is, of course, just to the north of Ukraine, following those exercises uh, later this month. Uh, the Kremlin did confirm that, but they did not put a date on that. And the Kremlin uh, did deny uh, this, the French assertion that, that the Russians had agreed uh, to uh, not build up any further, which would then lead to de-escalation. They said that Putin did, did not agree to that. Uh, but there was an interesting moment in that press conference between Presidents Macron and Putin last night in Moscow uh, when talking about the, the Minsk Accords, uh, Minsk Agreements, and how that would uh, forge the path forward. Uh, Putin said rather crassly and, and misogynistically uh, to Zelensky, like it or don't, it's your duty, my beauty. They, meaning the Minsk Agreements, must be fulfilled. Uh, it cannot work otherwise. Uh, so essentially, you are still our serf. You must take it. Um, Zelensky did respond today in his press conference with President Macron saying uh, that, you know, Ukraine is not his. He said, you're right, uh, rather glibly, that, that Ukraine is a beauty. Uh, but he said that Ukraine is very patient and within patience, there is wisdom. Uh, Allison, despite any kind of incremental progress, and it really is just increment, incre incremental at this point, uh, Macron was realistic in saying it's not going to be hours or days before uh, any real uh, progress is made. This, this could take months of perseverance. Allison. I guess if you want to look at glass half full, incremental progress is better than no progress. Um, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Now to a stark warning from the U.S. to Russia. President Biden vowed to end a major pipeline project between Russia and Germany if troops enter Ukraine. But the German chancellor was reluctant to match that threat. Listen to this. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer... Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. You can be absolutely sure that Germany will be, together with all its allies, and especially the United States, that we take the same steps. There will be not, no differences in that situation. What we do today is giving this very strong answer to Russia, saying, if you invade the Ukraine, this will have a very high price for you, which will have high impacts on your economy and the chances for your development. And we are ready to take steps that will have cost for us. And Fred Pleiken joins us now. Fred, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the German chancellor is saying, yes, we're united, but he doesn't really say united on what. So it begs the question, is he really committed to shutting the pipeline mm. down if Russia does invade Ukraine? Yeah, I think that was really one of the most interesting things uh, that we saw both in that press conference yesterday with the President Biden and the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. And then also in that really great interview uh, on uh, with our own Jake Tapper on, on the lead last night, where Olaf Scholz, uh, you know, said those words that uh, the steps would be exactly the same as the partners that the uh, Germany is fully committed to the partners. He's sort of, I think, saying the words without saying the words or saying the substance without saying the words. I think one of the things that seems absolutely abundantly clear right now 
now is that there, if there is a further invasion of Ukraine, that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is not going to be going forward. In fact, President Biden not just made those very strong remarks that we just heard there, but he also then said that he promised that those that the pipeline would not go forward. So it really would be difficult to see even if the Germans wanted to continue that um, the, the Nord Stream 2 program or the Nord Stream 2 project, if there was an invasion by Russia and the U.S. said that project needs to end, whether they'd be able to see that through. So it does seem as though the writing is very much on the wall with really without Olaf Scholz having said that. And 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 not not only did he not say that the Germans would stop the, the, the project, he didn't even seem to mention the words Nord Stream 2 uh, in uh, either the press conference or that interview uh, later. But it certainly seems that things while Olaf Scholz didn't uh, say it out outright, they do seem to be a lot more clear now than they were before. And I think one of the things that Olaf Scholz really did want to do is he wanted to get that backing from President Biden in the press conference. President Biden, uh, on various occasions, said that he believes that Germany is an important, is uh, a, a very key ally right now and a reliable ally as well. That's certainly something the German chancellor wanted to hear. And at the same time, the, the Germans obviously making very clear that Nord Stream 2 is definitely uh, something that would be part or could be part of the mix uh, if uh, there was a further invasion, part of those very strong sanctions that the German chancellor was talking about, while at least in public he's trying to keep that ambiguity up as to what exactly those sanctions would be. But it certainly does seem as though there was a lot more clarity without him actually saying the words, Allison. Oh, a situation where, yes, words matter. <laughs> Fred Pleiken, thanks so much for all that context. Shake up at Peloton. The bike maker is replacing its CEO and cutting 2,800 jobs as it struggles to grow in a post-pandemic world. Christine Romans joins us now. Christine, this is really the saga of a company uh, that just started here and is now here. Uh, more than It was more than two weeks ago, an activist investor called for uh, the company to fire its CEO, explore the sale of the company. So we're seeing part of that happen. We're seeing rumors of the other happen. Do you think this is a company that's kind of being, you know, set up or dressed up to be sold at this point? Or are they putting in a new CEO to make it stronger? We know that there have been suitors circling. We also know that the co-founder, John Foley, who is giving up the seat as the CEO, will stay and run the board. And the person they're bringing in, Barry McCarthy, someone who's a CFO of, of Spotify and other big, big tech names, is someone who we're told wants to work with John Foley. So it sounds like this is a company that is trying to restructure and pivot after being a pandemic winner and investing and maybe over-investing in the wrong places. John Foley on the conference call uh, with analysts just a few moments ago, I heard him say, look, we get it, we own it, and we are repositioning here for the next chapter. They will lay off 2,800 people. That's about 20 percent of the workforce globally. They are going to be shrinking their production footprint and changing their warehousing. And they're also going to uh, slim down their delivery and installation staff and look at other kinds of partnerships to do those things. So there are it's real restructuring that you're seeing here overall. You just saw that stock chart. I mean, this was a company that at its peak had a 50 billion, 50 billion dollar market cap and went all the way down to eight. That's why that activist investor stepped in and said, you need a new CEO. You need to make some cost cuts and you need to change, um, you know, change the way you're doing business here. What I think is is kind of the consensus among most people who follow this company, Allison, is it was a pandemic winner and found itself with this huge demand for treads and for bikes and for its digital products. And it invested wildly as if the pandemic was going to last forever. And of course, now we know it hasn't. It has shifted in the next year. So uh, 
it's interesting. You look at the video. This is one of those names, Peloton, where its instructors are household names. I mean, it's got a global reach, a global footprint. Uh, John Foley, the CEO, saying that uh, none of the content will change and all of these instructors, the talent, the content makers, uh, that will be untouched as well. So Cody Rigsby, apparently, is just all fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that who? Oh, okay. I don't have a Peloton, so I don't know. But I know there is the rage for the for the instructor. I'm curious about this. I know that we were expecting Peloton's earnings to come out after the bell. They clearly came out before the bell with the announcement of the CEO stepping down, being replaced. Yeah. Do you know? You know? Do you know why the urgency to do it before the bell as opposed to after? And what did those earnings show? Did the company earn anything? <laughs> Well, here's the interesting thing. They were supposed to be after the closing bell, and then this news hit in the Wall Street Journal this morning, very specific with the 2,800 uh, layoffs and all of the the very excruciating detail of what this restructuring is going to look like. I don't think the company could wait all day trading in the market with this very specific Wall Street Journal report and waiting for all these hours uh, before the um, before the earnings report came uh, came out. So, you know, the company is touting, um, Allison, that it's got a 92 percent retention rate and it still has growing number of, of minutes and hours that it's uh, it, it, that its customers are using on the bike. They're going to be making the focus really of this call less on the earnings, honestly, and where they're going from here, how they're going to have to right-size their production model, how they're going to have to right-size their, their delivery, warehousing, and installation model for, for, this, new, for, for this new phase um, for the company. And, of course, these layoffs are obviously painful when any company has to have, have, to have layoffs, uh, 2,800. Yeah, I hear you. All right, Christine Romans, thanks for all that great reporting. You're welcome. What would have been the world's largest semiconductor deal now collapsed. NVIDIA has pulled the plug on its plan to buy the chip designer Arm from SoftBank. Paula Monica joins us now. You know, this deal felt like it was kind of doomed at the start. It's been in the making for a couple of years now. There have kind of always been regulatory concerns. What sealed sort of the deal as far as uh, the downfall of this deal? Yeah, Allison, I think you nailed it when you talked about the regulatory concerns globally. That was going to be a problem for getting this deal done. But interestingly enough, there were also a lot of companies within the smartphone food chain that were not backing this deal either. And that includes Google, Microsoft, and Qualcomm. All of them had sued to block this deal. And I think that was another big headwind that. NVIDIA and SoftBank finally realized that this deal was not going to take place. So it's now going to be on SoftBank to try and figure out a new plan for ARM. It looks like they are going to file for an initial public offering of ARM at some point down the road. And there are questions about what NVIDIA does next. NVIDIA will continue to partner with ARM, the company says, But are there other acquisition targets now that NVIDIA might want to look at or do they just sit back? and recognize that globally, and particularly in the US, there's gonna be a lot more scrutiny on major mergers. Antitrust all of a sudden is a thing again that Washington cares about. Yeah, but this deal in particular, I think was kind of important because considering all the supply chain issues, the chip issues, you know, you throw that into the mix, but that just wasn't enough to get this deal to survive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there are still compelling economic and industry-specific reasons why this deal might have made sense, particularly for NVIDIA, which is already 
you know, one of the world's largest chip companies. It's it's a company that now has a market value that dwarfs Intel, for example, and Intel's in the Dow. I think, though, that right now there are just so many worries globally about tech companies in particular getting too big. And you are seeing lawmakers in Washington, D.C., as well as regulators in Europe and Asia that are putting their foot down and saying, no, big tech can be too big. And this might have been a deal that would have made NVIDIA a much more formidable player than it already is in semiconductors. And that might have been to the detriment of consumers as well as the manufacturers, even though many companies that make smartphones are in their own right, not exactly slouches. All right, Paula Monica, thanks for all that great analysis. And these are the stories making headlines around the world. Teenage freestyle skiing sensation Eileen Gu has won gold at the Winter Olympics in the women's big air competition. The American-born Chinese athlete says taking top spot was the best moment of her life. Tens of millions of fans crashed China's leading social media platform on Tuesday with celebratory posts. CNN's Koi Wire joins me now with today's Winter Games highlights. Take it away, Koi. Yeah. How you doing, Allison? Imagine doing well. the pressure Eileen Gu must have been feeling. 18 years old, American-born star, Olympics debut, choosing to compete for her mother's homeland, China, instead of Team USA. But Eileen Gu says that she's a hopeless romantic when it comes to fear. She says when you embrace it and that adrenaline that comes with it, it can propel you to greatest. And that's exactly what happened. On her final jump, she stomped a 16-20. That's four and a half full rotations. She's just the second woman to ever pull it off in competition. She said afterwards that even if she didn't land that trick, she was hoping that it would send a message and encourage more girls to go break their own boundaries. Eileen Gu has a chance to win two more golds here at the Beijing Olympics. And men's short program figure skating now. Team USA's three-time defending world champion Nathan Chen setting a new world record, reminding the world why he's nicknamed the Quad King, landing two quadruple jumps for a score of 113.97 with two team Olympic medals to his name. Nathan Chen grabs a commanding lead ahead of the long program as he seeks that coveted individual Olympic gold. And one fun one for you. New Zealand had never won Winter Olympics gold until a 20-year-old named Zoe Sadowski Sinnott changed the game here at the Beijing Games, winning the snowboard slope style. Her dad went viral after her win, cursing up a celebratory storm on the news channel back home in New Zealand. And he says he's getting endorsement offers because of it. Zoe told me all about it. Listen. Dad, oh, yeah, hopefully by then uh, his whiskey endorsement and comes through. He has a whiskey endorsement. He reckons, I think he might be taking the piss, but he also said that he's got a toilet paper and mouthwash <laughs> endorsement. Oh, needs to from wash that his viral moment. Yeah. I think he got the toilet paper endorsement because of the potty mouth. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, Allison, when Zoe told me uh, that she, she first heard that dad went viral for cursing on the news in that interview after a big win, she didn't even want to watch. She said dad must have been sinking beers, she said. Zoe turns 21 in a couple of weeks, so it's probably going to be a party back home. So um, first things first, though, she has a chance to win New Zealand. It's second ever Winter Olympic gold. She'll be keep competing in the big air event coming up, Allison. Okay, Coy Wire, thanks very much for that breakdown. 
British lawmakers are urging Prime Minister Boris Johnson to apologize for falsely claiming opposition leader Keir Starmer failed to prosecute a notorious child abuser. Critics say his comments in incited an angry mob on Monday that surrounded the Labour leader, with some protesters accusing him of protecting pedophiles. Mr. Johnson called the harassment disgraceful, but he hasn't apologized for his remarks. Still to come on First Move, the Olympic closed loop that's meant to keep China safe from COVID and from the eyes of foreign journalists. And Neil Young tells Spotify workers to quit before it eats up their soul. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick. U.S. stock futures still pointing to a mostly lower open. Investors looking ahead to important earnings coming later in the week from Coca-Cola, Twitter, and Disney. U.S. consumer inflation data, that will be released on Thursday as well. Meta, meantime, set to fall for a fourth straight session. Shares of Facebook's parent company plunging 26% Thursday after reporting weak results. Its stock has fallen in every session since then. Meta is now down 33% so far this year. The company losing its spot as the seventh most valuable U.S. firm, losing that spot to chipmaker NVIDIA. Brian Levitt joins me now with a a closer look at the markets. He is the global market strategist at Invesco. Great to have you on the show. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Well, it was a rare, quiet session to start the week yesterday, but it looks like 2022 overall is off to a really choppy start with a lot of volatility. I'm curious what you think. Are you comfortable at this point with the valuation adjustment that we've seen so far? Well, a couple of points. One, volatility is almost always the result of policy uncertainty. So we're still dealing with a significant amount of policy uncertainty. Valuations have come down. I didn't believe they were excessive to begin with. They've adjusted. But but what investors need to recognize is that valuations aren't timing tools. So what's going to matter most in this environment is to hopefully start to see inflationary pressures ease and inflation expectations come down allowing the Federal Reserve to ultimately back off a tightening stance and letting this cycle continue. For now, we're dealing with policy uncertainty that should continue to create some volatility in markets. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing Wall Street just obsessed about how many rate cuts, how big will each rate cut be? And it seems to be a conversation that is being driven by the big banks. You know, Bank of America coming out yesterday saying it expects seven rate uh, hikes. What do you see the Fed doing as of March? Well, I think the base is would be five interest rate hikes. So certainly an interest rate hike in March, the beginning of quantitative tightening, which means scaling down the size of its balance sheet. The, the good news is that you've already seen a significant amount of tightening priced into the short end of the U.S. Treasury yield curve. And by that, I mean, if you look at two-year Treasury rates, they've gone from virtually nothing to 1.3% today. So there's your five interest rate hikes, right, being priced into the market and the U.S. Treasury yield curve has flattened significantly. In that flattening environment, you would expect more of a risk-off type of environment, which is certainly what we've seen in the equity market. The question is now, does the direction of inflation or the change in the rate of change start to moderate? And if it starts to moderate, can the Federal Reserve potentially undershoot those five or six interest rate hikes this year? That's what the market is going to be focusing on. 
from my perspective, if you poll consumers, it does seem as if the American consumer is saying, you know what, I've seen enough. Now is not a good time for me to shop. And so as that demand starts to come down, as we move away from Omicron, hopefully we start to see more of these supply chain challenges ease. I want to talk tech because tech's really taken it on the chin. It kind of feels like we're seeing this divergence in tech. I mean, last week we see Amazon posting the biggest one-day gain in market value ever. And then one day after, we see Facebook's parent suffering the worst ever loss. How do you explain right now what's happening in tech? Well, you're in an environment right now where investors are looking for visibility. It's an environment of a slowdown in economic activity and tighter financial conditions. So you're looking for good visibility of earnings and good future visibility of those earnings. So the companies that are providing weaker guidance are getting hit pretty significantly. Now, remember, they're getting hit pretty significantly from lofty levels but nonetheless hit pretty significantly. And so when you're in a rate rising environment, investors are going to look for quality and be a little bit less speculative. Now, Facebook Meta is certainly not a speculative business, but the guidance was weaker. And in this type of an environment, investors are looking for, again, quality and good visibility of future earnings. And you mentioned Meta, so I'm going to ask you what you think, because investors are wondering whether Mark Zuckerberg's Meta, uh, his bet on the metaverse is actually going to work out. What's your view? I think it will, but it's a question of when, and, and, and it's a long time, it's a long term investment horizon. And so the way Mark Zuckerberg has run uh, Facebook and now Meta has been to make big investments and to be patient to see those investments play out. And so, you know, investors had gotten used to the, the numbers they were getting on, on the Facebook platform, on the Instagram platform, on WhatsApp, and now it's uh, making big investments in the future. And so, you know, I suspect over time that that will play out. It's a very effective, highly productive, innovative business. Um, but investors are currently getting their heads around the type of investment that needs to be made uh, into being one of the leaders within the metaverse. Looking for a quick answer from you here. Where do you see, uh, when do you see this year? When do you see inflation easing up a bit? In the if next couple even of this months. Year. Uh, in the next oh, couple ahead. of months. I mean, the base effects, the base effects. Um, so on a year-over-year basis, it should start to come down. You're already seeing things like steel prices, fertilizer prices come down. Some signs of easing in the supply chain. Consumers saying they've had enough. It's not a great time to buy durable goods. It's not a great time to buy cars. So I would expect the pressures to ease. Now, we never thought 6% would be something we'd hope for on inflation, <laughs> but it's the rate It's the rate of change. It's the change in the rate of change that matters. It's the direction that's going to matter most for markets. Yeah, uh, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, all right. Thank you, Brian Levitt, the global market strategist at Invesco. Fantastic getting your perspective today. And you're watching First Move. Thanks. The market open is next. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick. U.S. stocks are up and running on Wall Street, and we've got a mostly flat start to the trading day. Tech shares are pulling back a bit uh, after Monday's more than half a percent drop. Earnings are in focus once again this Tuesday. Harley-Davidson reporting a surprise fourth quarter profit. Its shares are rallying in early trading. Shares of Pfizer are weaker after cutting its full-year guidance, and Peloton it's giving back much of the 20% gain it racked up yesterday. Peloton is slashing its revenue outlook as demand for its exercise bikes slows. The company's CEO is stepping down and it's cutting some, some uh, 20% of its workforce. Peloton shares rallied Monday on speculation that it could be a takeover target. 
Back to Beijing, where the Winter Games are underway. Officials are strictly limiting journalists' movements inside the Olympic bubble, not just to try and control COVID, but also to control the narrative during the Olympics. Selena Wang and David Culver show us how hard it is to get around the city. It's been a long time since there were this many foreign journalists in Beijing, but were strictly controlled under COVID rules. I can't just walk out of the hotel. <laughs> and my driver can't just take me wherever I want to go. We have to stay in our lane, literally. <laughs> this, the closest we can get to Beijing residents. They are you said the police will take me if I were to walk out of the gate. It's really hard to get into China right now as a journalist, but to cover these Olympic Games, we can get in without any visa issues. But the catch is we have to stay strictly confined into what the organizers are calling the closed loop. Other than our hotel, our only options are the Olympic venues. The authorities know where we are at all times. We'll talk to them. Restrictions, lack of access, a daily occurrence for journalists living in Beijing. I'm from I'm from U.S., but I live in Beijing. CNN has regularly had run-ins with the Chinese police around Tiananmen Square, in secret of Xinjiang, and throughout my coverage of the first COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan. Oftentimes, our reports on subjects deemed sensitive by Chinese officials are censored in mainland China. As the relationship between Chinese and Western leaders has crumbled, so has the International Press Corps based here. Journalists have been forced to leave. It's not a particularly good experience, too. Perhaps the most chilling case recently, Chinese state news anchor Chang Le, an Australian citizen detained since 2020 on an accusation of spying. We don't know where she's being held. Now the Olympic Games, a carefully managed opportunity for China to reintroduce itself. Journalists like me who live here, now joined by hundreds of new faces, albeit separated by barriers. But her sources in China live with much greater risk, like human rights activist Hu Jia, a prominent critic of the Communist Party. Speaking to me from house arrest, he says authorities are frightened he might stage a demonstration during the Olympics while the world is watching. He tells me he'll be locked in for months. They've threatened to stop him from seeing his elderly mother if he doesn't comply. He's used to getting a knock on the door from police, who he says have visited him four times in the past eight days. The security of the closed loop? Keeping people safe from COVID as more cases are registered among Olympic personnel, but also keeping journalists from telling their stories. Selena Wang with David Culver, CNN, Beijing. After the break, we've got an extended interview for you. The Latin singing superstar Maluma takes touring, crypto and giving back. He talks about all that and expects some singing, too. That's next. And now, one of the hottest singers in the world with an eye for an opportunity. We all know him as the Colombian sensation Maluma. What you might not know is that at the age of 16, he had to choose between a career in music or one in football. Choosing music was the start of an incredible journey to stardom at an early age. So, besides his collaborations with the likes of Madonna and Ricky Martin, he's also dipped into the world of crypto and NFTs. Add to that fashion tie-ups from Macy's to Versace. And from clothes to cognac and his four-year partnership with Hennessy, 
who made him a limited edition bottle and a big cake for his 28th birthday, which he celebrated with his mother. So Julia starts her interview by sending some sparkly wishes. Well, thank you. Thanks for for your wishes, for the birthday wishes. Yeah, I had an amazing time. I was in, in Vegas. Well, first I went to Aspen with all my friends. We celebrated my birthday over there. We did a, a big party in the mountains. There were, then after that we went to to Las Vegas because I had a perform. I had to perform over there. I had a show, so I went there with my friends and and my family. And yeah, I had an amazing time, and and we celebrated. Of of course, the um, the partnership that we're doing right now with Hennessy again has been already for years working together, and I'm happy and honored to be part of the design of this uh-huh. new package. It's a limited <laughs> edition. You know, there are not there are not gonna be a lot of bottles. This new package it, for me is very very important because if you see, there are a lot of of important buildings here in the box of the Hennessy box and these buildings are from Medellin from Colombia so I feel honored to be part of the the whole project and of course being the first uh, artist uh, musician who can design uh, a package for for Hennessy the whole bottle that, the whole that duration, is that's cool. that's, yes. that's big do you actually drink that by the way I know it's your own cocktail, but do you actually drink it? I was looking at the ingredients. One part Campari, one part Sweet Vermouth, and an orange peel. It's quite a sophisticated drink. Do you drink that? Be honest. I love it. Uh. I, I love it. Yeah, I love I love cognac, you know, like like every time before I, I go to when I go to the show, when I go to when I have to perform before the the show, I drink this cocktail that you just mentioned, you know, for me, just just one important. And, and yeah, of course, I love, I love cognac. It's, it's been like like this since since we started working together. Uh, and you're going to be working for another forty years together with that cell because clearly you're selling their product in your cocktail. Um, you are back on tour, and as you mentioned, a number yeah. of European places, but you're back out there, which must feel absolutely incredible. Which song are you most excited about singing? For sure, Hawaii is my is yeah it's my biggest song right now and you know when when we're planning to to go back to to Europe you know it was it was almost impossible because COVID was happening everything was was getting super crazy around the world and in that time I released Hawaii and the song became just just huge global wise and. And yeah, I always wanted to perform the song in Euro because I, I know that the song was working perfect over there. And now that we're coming back, it's such a, a dream coming true, you know, like after one year and a half since we released the song. And it's actually happening, going on tour and performing the, the songs for all the people in Europe. It's, it's big, you know, uh, that's why I most that's why I love the most uh, going on tour, performing for my fans, being with them. And I miss them already. So. We're ready. <laughs> they're, they're ready and waiting. Are you warmed up? Am I allowed to ask for a line of the song? Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. Go, 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 go. Give me a line. Puede que no te haga falta You also, as part of the tour, launched an NFT. It's very gold. It has unseen pictures of you as well. Was that your idea? Talk to you about NFTs. Do you like crypto? 
Yeah, I do. I do like oh. crypto. I love NFTs. I love art in general. When I saw the whole NFT wave that was happening, like, yeah, well, like one year ago, I was like, I want to be part of this. I think this is the future of, of art. And, and I I believe in NFTs. I, I, I really I really love it. So I met this guy, Alejandro Robledo. He's from Colombia too. Um, he's the one who 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 designed the, the the NFTs, and I saw his art and just fell in love with it. I wanted to collaborate with him, and and we did this this first NFTs that we released during the during the tour, and it was a big surprise for me because I knew that the business was was big, but I didn't know it was gonna be like this big, you know. And and now we're we're working in new projects. I don't want to say what's what's coming, but <laughs> it's something. <laughs> Big and important, so everybody got to be ready because this is going to be a game changer too. <laughs> More NFTs. Do you invest in cryptocurrency itself or you just like NFTs because of the art? I have I have my company in Colombia that is called Royalty Inc. And we have, yeah. I have, we have someone who is like pretty into it. He knows a lot about it and we're doing important, important investments in cryptocurrency. You also invest in people, which I love. And I've read your story. You, your family suffered steep financial crisis and you effectively yeah. became the breadwinner, which is how we get to hear your voice. And I know you've also launched a foundation now to, to help others. I just wondered how that experience and what you went through in your life has, has sort of allowed you to yeah. invest back in other people. I mean, I, I love the name of it, The Art of Dreams, allowing others to fulfill theirs. Talk me through what this yeah. means. Yeah, El Arte de los Sueños, The Art of Dreams is my foundation. I have it in Colombia for now. We want to, we're planning to take it worldwide. We're going to start in Mexico and the USA too, maybe this year or next year. And we're helping children uh, that they don't have any chance, any opportunity to, to grow up in their lives and, and doing what they, they want to do. These kids, they, they dream about being artists, uh, musicians, uh, dancers, and we're just trying to to help them, you know? This is, this is a beautiful foundation that I have with my family. My sister, she's the president of the foundation, and we've been working so hard for almost four years. We already purchase a big big house in, in in Colombia and we have these children over there and we give them we're giving them lessons every day singing lessons dance lessons and yeah that's a way to to give back a little bit what what people in my country they they gave me already I looked at your social media presence and you have 60 million Instagram followers you have near 8 million Twitter followers and I know with great success comes great scrutiny and this goes back to what you were saying there with I think giving Thank back you. I saw last year that you tweeted a picture of yourself getting the COVID vaccine and at a very contentious time with, with lots of attention and misinformation. Why was that important for you to share with people? We really need to do it because there's a lot of people that they don't trust in vaccination and that's the people who who are dying, you know, like I have a couple of people in, back in, in Colombia that they didn't want to do it and they suffer pretty bad of, of COVID-19. So for me, I'm a, I'm a tool, you know, I'm a tool, I'm a, I'm a bridge. I have to communicate the important things that are happening around the world. For me, vaccination is, is the priority right now. You know, we've had um, 
a bit of a controversy, and I don't know whether you saw it here in America with Spotify and some not as popular as you, but well-known artists saying, look, they might pull their music from Spotify if, if the platform <clears throat> didn't do more to tackle misinformation. Is that something that you would consider? Because I did see you have 33.7 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Congratulations on that. Um, is that something you would consider? No, I wouldn't do that. No, I wouldn't yeah. do it. I wouldn't take it too, too far. I wouldn't take it that far. I will try to find different ways to communicate by myself. We, we cannot expect that other platforms or other people uh, have to share the, the, the news. You have to do it by yourself. You know, the change starts with yourself, you know. So for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch any digital platforms or something like that. I would do it by myself. I would create a big campaign and I will spend my own money and I will spend my own energy to tell people, that vaccination is important, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to anyone else but me. Yeah, I um, I hear the message. Um, you're flying high. You're the new face of Versace. You have seven music videos that have one billion views on YouTube. You've just starred in a movie with J Lo as well. Um, and I saw a quote from you saying, "I live in a place of gratitude," which I loved. Yeah. Um, what are you most sure. grateful for today? Healthy, I'm healthy right now, you know, the the wellness. I, I would say that for me, that's that's a real flexing right now, you know, in all the things that we're, we're living. People that are talking about money, cars, jets, and fame, and whatever it is, but for me, like the real flexing right now, is something that I have to be proud of, is to being healthy, you know. I, I'm, I'm grateful for that because we live in a, in a crazy, crazy time in, in, in this moment. So, so for me, that's that's the priority too, you know, to be healthy and, and having my family with me. And the odd little cocktail too, Malima baby. <laughs> please, <laughs> that please. You see, there you go, I'm doing it for you. <laughs> I'm, grateful. I'm so grateful for that cocktail too. <laughs> Oh, yes, I have to agree with him. Good health is what matters. And if you missed any of that, I'll put it on my Twitter feed. Coming up on First Move, more on Spotify. Neil Young has a message for their staffers. He says, leave now. More on what the musician said about the streaming service and its CEO next. Welcome back to First Move. Legendary musician Neil Young has a message for anyone who works at Spotify. Get out of the place before it eats up your soul. Young's call comes after he and other artists pulled their music from the platform amid growing criticism of podcast host Joe Rogan. CNN's Oliver Darcy joins us now. This, Oliver, seems like it's the controversy that just keeps giving and giving. <laughs> yeah, it is spiraling out of control. And it's something that the CEO, Daniel X, seemed just not be able to get his arms around because he addressed this uh, controversy on Sunday night to employees, talking to them about the racial slurs that Joe Rogan had used in previous episodes of his show. And he told them they had discussions with Rogan and that some of the episodes had been removed as a result. Uh, but then yesterday, Neil Young comes out uh, and tells Spotify employees that they should quit. And I think there's a lot of internal distress going on inside of Spotify. So Neil Young coming out there and saying this uh, is something that matters. He's the one who initially kicked off uh, this controversy, really, when he pulled his music from the library on Spotify. And then it kind of went to, uh, it started to be focused on uh, Rogan's racial slurs versus the misinformation on COVID that uh, Neil Young was upset about. But now Neil Young is back in this and he's telling people they need to quit before 
you know, it eats your soul, in his words. I know. It certainly took the headlines on this controversy. Um, I know conservative competitor Rumble offered Joe Rogan $100 million to leave Spotify and join them, they say, censorship-free. What have you heard about that? Yeah, Rumble is this YouTube-like competitor uh, that is funded by a lot of conservatives. uh, And and they offered yesterday uh, quite the deal to Rogan. So Rogan makes a reported $100 million over at Spotify and they came out and said that they would pay him $100 million over four years to move his podcast over to their platform. And, you know, this is something on the right that uh, you're seeing. They, they are big fans of Joe Rogan. President Trump came out yesterday and also waded into this controversy saying that uh, he thinks that Rogan needs to stop apologizing. Uh, and so uh, if he were to move, you know, I don't think he's going to, but if he were to move over to Rumble, um, it would certainly, uh, he would be welcomed by the right. All right, Oliver Darcy, thanks so much. And finally, on first move, the Oscar nominations are here. The Netflix Western, The Power of the Dog, scored 12 nominations, including for Best Picture. Belfast, Dune, and West Side Story also nominated for Best Picture. The nominees for Best Actor include Will Smith for his role in King Richard and Denzel Washington in The Tragedy of Macbeth. And the Best Actress nominees include Nicole Kidman, Olivia Colman, and Penelope Cruz. The Academy Awards are set to take place on Sunday, March 27th. And that's it for the show. I'm Allison Kosick. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Kosick. Thanks for joining us. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is next, and I will see you tomorrow. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.